When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello, and welcome to Awesome Etiquette, where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take your questions on condolences for colleagues, uninviting those who don't follow COVID-19 guidelines, sending a thank you note for a thank you gift, and wanting others to respect your avoidance of bad news. For Awesome Etiquette sustaining members, our question is about carefully critiquing what the host serves. Plus your most excellent feedback, etiquette salute, and a postscript segment on when you I feel statements. All that coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of our home offices in Vermont and is proud to be produced by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Cindy Post-Senning. And I'm Dan Post-Senning. And as you can tell, we have a very special show for you today. I want to welcome back my mother, who you might hear me slip and call mom occasionally throughout the course of the show, uh, who you would probably better know as Cindy Post-Senning. Mom, welcome to the show. Oops, I did it already. (laughs) Yay, well, I'm so glad to be here. It's always a pleasure when you give me that call and say, could you possibly fill in for Lizzie today? And I get a chance to spend some time with you talking about my favorite topic, etiquette. Well, um, we certainly appreciate it. Lizzie, as uh, regular listeners to the show know, has been working very diligently on the first draft of the 20th edition of Emily Post's Etiquette. And she's been down in Martha's Vineyard working on that and is, I think while we're recording right now, somewhere on the road in between uh, Martha's Vineyard and Vermont, she's on her way home, two chapters in hand, um, and really appreciates your being able to be here so she can uh, stay focused on what she's doing, which at the moment is uh, driving, safety first. (laughs) Well, it, it, it's, it is really fun to do this. I enjoy being a guest host on Awesome Etiquette, no question about that. And this has been kind of fun because I don't know if your listeners know, but you and I live pretty close to each other, like we're next-door neighbors. Up, You're just up the hill from me, and we're having an opportunity to kind of do this, you in your house and me in my house, but I can practically look out my window and see you. So it's really fun and just a little bit different. I know. Don't don't get me looking out the window too much. It's such a beautiful day. It's a gorgeous day. I'm going to start wishing that we were uh, sitting out on the lawn doing this, although there's no way to record the conversation without recording each other. It, w- it would be nice to be able to sit on the lawn and look at you while we do this, but uh, 
alas, there is a technological barrier. And while we have been sort of pandemic awareness, we do do meetings where we have had some fun picnics out on one of our lawns or the other with some physical distancing uh, between us. But I get a chance to see Anisha and Aria running around and we get a chance to talk and we can sit six feet apart and it works beautifully. Um, Tonight, we were saying, Dan and I were saying, he's going to come down here actually and have a little dinner with us. And then we're going to a special concert down at the church in Waterbury, where the pianist from the church is going to be playing music and has some vocalists and some other musicians playing and will be physically distanced on the church lawn and listen to them sitting on the porch of this beautiful old white New England church. It's like a perfect setting. So Uh, I'm so glad the weather held. I've been looking forward to this ever since you told me a couple days ago. First, Mary Jane's an incredible musician. And second, I don't think I've heard live music in maybe six months, if you can believe it. <laughs> right. So we we were saying the other thing that, that I don't know to what extent your listeners, our listeners know, that Pooja and the girls have been away. And so this has been your bachelor uh, week at home or bachelor four days. I'm kind of wondering how that's going, Dan. It's true. I miss Pooja. I miss all of them. I miss obviously Anisha and Aria. It's so quiet up here right now. I'm flying through um, sort of a backlog of work, which feels really good. And in some ways, it's really familiar to me to be alone. But it's a familiarity that is um, it's far enough in my past at this point that it's it's really it's interesting. It both feels familiar and very strange. Yeah. Well, nice. Well, at least we're next door and we can visit a little bit and and relieve some of that loneliness once in a while. (laughs) Well, yes, and I appreciate the offer. You and Brother Will have both been really good about saying, if you're just going stir-crazy, come on over. (laughs) We'll put you up on the lawn physically, if not socially distant. Right. Excellent. Well, you know, we've got some work to get to. Just because Lizzie's gone doesn't mean the questions stopped coming. Right. Shall we get to some questions? I think we should get to some questions. Let's do it. Awesome Etiquette is here to answer your questions. You can email them to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can also reach us on social media. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. And on Facebook, we are Awesome Etiquette. Just remember to use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette with your social media posts so that we know you want your question on the show. Awesome Etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. 
you'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories. Some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. <laughs> After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story Worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Mom, why don't you take us away? Okay, I'm going to just start with this first question. Condolences for a colleague. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I love the show. Thank you so much for making it. I have a question about a situation that happened recently within my team at work. A teammate had a death in the family. Her brother had died. For context, I have not worked closely with this particular teammate and have not had much contact at all with her outside of chatting together at a happy hour once months ago pre-pandemic lockdown. While we are all working remote, there weren't any natural ways to offer real-time condolences, such as office run-ins in the hall or kitchen or swinging by her desk to offer condolences, and reaching out via our work chat in the middle of a workday seemed intrusive and inappropriate. Maybe I'm wrong here. Our boss did send flowers to her and signed it from the entire team. But unfortunately, her address was wrong in the HR system, and they did not arrive. Long story short, she later reached out to our boss and let him know that she was pretty upset and disappointed that no one on the team, around 20 people, had reached out to her. Our boss let a few of us know that, and we, of course, all felt terrible. My question is, what would have been a better way to handle this situation? Obviously, the flowers not arriving was an unfortunate twist. But other than that, what would have been a better way to reach out on a more personal level? Where is the line between offering condolences at work, but also not wanting to distract someone at work when maybe they're trying to not focus on sad personal situations while working? Thank you. Michaela. Well, Michaela, thank you for the question. And I'm sorry that you ended up dealing with this kind of a situation where someone was dealing with something difficult and maybe you end up left feeling like it ended up getting more difficult because of the action or in this case inaction of some of the people around your colleague. And I guess the the first thought that I had is I just want to acknowledge that things happen. Things like addresses being wrong in HR systems and the flowers that were meant to come from a whole team not arriving. And that is unfortunate, and it's something that I don't want you to beat yourself up over too badly for. It's really, it's really okay. It's it's something that happened, but there's there's going to be a way to move beyond it. There is also a larger traditional etiquette context here that I think could be really helpful. But before I dive into it, I want to ask my mother, Cindy Senning, what are your first reactions to this question? 
Uh, my first reactions are that I think that Michaela's really considering um, some different options that m- might well have worked for her, in fact. For instance, she was talking about maybe reaching out to someone at work and then considering the ramifications of that. Is that really problematic or not? I think that's the main one. I I don't think that she considered one of the first things I would have thought of, which would have been just using the old-fashioned mail system and sending a note. Um, she certainly could have done that. A sympathy card or a note uh, might have been the easiest way to make a connection without interrupting the work process. I couldn't agree any more. That's the traditional etiquette solution that works so, so well. And I find that it's one of those traditional etiquettes that people really turn to Emily Post for advice about. It's a traditional etiquette that has a pretty firm structure around it, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. But I also find for being something that works so well and was such a sort of traditional etiquette form, it's one of the things that I find people don't know about as much, and that's the idea that when someone passes – you send a note of sympathy or condolence to the people that are the closest to that person. And it, it's not a personal overreach. It's a very, very common practice. In fact, it's the advisable course of action and would have exactly addressed the difficult situation that this question presents. I think that uh, people sometimes avoid doing sympathy notes because they think sympathy cards are um, uh, so kind of made up, you know, the the made by the card makers company and stuff like that. They're not personal enough. And you can really do two things. One is you can just you can just use a, a plain sheet of paper to do with a sympathy note on. That's perfectly all right to do. Or you can use a card that just has a flower or or something on the front. And then I. I spend lots of time actually uh, down at the gift card, you know, the cards shop and look for sympathy cards that have that don't seem schmaltzy, what would be schmaltzy in my language. They might be perfect for somebody else, but they wouldn't fit my particular personality. But I look and find a card that seems to fit what I might be thinking and saying. And then the key is when I get home and I have somebody that I want to send that card to, I make a point of writing a personal note on that card. So it's not just the the formulaic kind of message that comes on most sympathy cards, but it's also my personal note where I mention something to the person. If, if I knew the person who had died, I might mention something about that relationship or just that I'm thinking of you and um, that I know it's a kind of a difficult time. It's a good point that there is a relationship between the form itself and bringing yourself in a really personal way to that moment or to that structure. And I think you've given some really good ideas about ways to do that, that if you're picking a card, you pick a card that speaks to you and that no matter whether you're using your own personal stationery or whether you're using a blank sheet of paper or a card that you like, that you make some effort in the note, the handwritten note that you include in that card or on that piece of paper to connect in a way that's meaningful and and reflects the relationship that you have either with the person receiving the note or the person who's passing your acknowledging. In this case, Michaela could even say something to the effect that, you know, I'm sorry that I'm not there to be able to, to just mention this in person, but I for sure wanted to get a note off to you to let you know I'm thinking of you. Something like that, you know, just even, you know, even that kind of makes the connection in these difficult times to make connections. 
I really like that advice. I also really like that in the absence of Lizzie Post, our master of sample scripts, you have provided us with a very functional sample script. The one other thing that I'd like to say here to Michaela that she didn't really specifically ask, but she's sort of in that awkward situation now where she knows that the that the co- the teammate is upset and disappointed that no one said anything and sort of what does she do about something like that? And I think that, uh, sample script here, I think that she just, when she gets a chance, again, she could either do it as a note or she could do it as a meeting, a FaceTime, you know, discussion back and forth and just say, I'm so sorry that that didn't work out. The, 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 the flowers that we had hoped you had gotten, letting you all know we were thinking of you. Um, but I just want you to know that I have been thinking of you and I know it's been a difficult time. And, um, you know, I look forward to seeing you again at work. I agree. My last note on this question simply reads, there is still time. A a question we often get about sympathy or condolence notes has to do with the window that it's acceptable to send them in. And obviously, the sooner you know and the sooner you can do it, the better. But it's not like there's a a three-month window and once you've missed it, you've missed your opportunity. In fact, oftentimes – it can be really nice for someone to know that people out there are still thinking about them or still thinking about their lost loved one. And sometimes it's those little touch points that happen later on that really are significant for someone. So don't, don't think that you've missed your chance here. There, there is still an opportunity. You can even do that as a part of a sympathy note. Michaela, thank you so much for this question. We really appreciate your efforts to do the right thing, and we really hope that this answer helps you figure out a path forward that makes you and your coworker feel better. Our next question is about COVID carelessness. Hello, Lizzie and Dan. I love your podcast and find myself applying a lot of your suggested language in my day-to-day life. Thank you. A little context to the question may help. I was recently hosting a three-person socially distanced backyard get-together when one of the invitees let me know that another invitee was not following COVID-related guidelines, i.e. seeing many people, traveling, hosting people in her home, etc., This was unknown to me at the time of the invitation and made me very uncomfortable. I promptly canceled the event altogether. Instead of addressing the crux of why the event was canceled, I forged a lame excuse. I did not like how I handled the situation. Here is my question. How does one elegantly and honestly rescind an invitation to a guest due to the guest's flagrant disregard of COVID-related precautions? Thank you kindly, Kate. Well, Kate, thanks for your question here. This is certainly timely. Um, I think that it's a pretty straightforward response in this case. I don't think you need to forge a lame excuse. I've done it myself many times and know just how you feel having done that. But I think that just a straightforward response that, you know, you've been thinking about the your plans to have a, a physically distanced or socially distanced event in, even in your backyard, and it seemed okay at the time. But since then, some of the things you've been hearing on the news, and or if that's not the case, just as you have thought more and more about it, you're just still not really comfortable with getting started with that kind of entertaining. So you're going to rescind your invitation. 
situation. I'm so sorry. <laughs> and and I, I don't think you need to go any further than that. I don't think you need to get into her behavior or commenting on her behavior. That's per, That's sort of not the time or the place to be doing that. I couldn't agree more. I really like that answer. A couple of things I liked about it. One, I liked the way you apologized for rescinding the invitation, not for your judgment of the person, but just as a host. I'm dealing with a a situation that's new and awkward. We're operating in a global pandemic where we've got to be more flexible. Plans might change as conditions change and people understand that. And at the same time, you show that you're still hitting your marks by remembering that you're stepping outside of that usual expected etiquette of I've offered an invitation. I'm going to stick to that. I'm going to follow through with my plans. You might be more accepting of your own desire to cancel that and your guests are going to be more accepting. But acknowledging it goes a long way towards delivering that news well. Right. And you don't, it doesn't even need to be that, you know, I think I might have mentioned or I, you, I sort of heard it in your response just now, Dan, that, um, things have changed or something like that. So it's different. It could just be that you acknowledge that you've changed. You know, I've thought about this some more and, you know, I, I just realized that I'm not comfortable with doing this. And maybe some, you could even say maybe some of you aren't either, you know, and I think we should give it a little more time before we're getting together. I agree a thousand percent. And I was also thinking about what makes an excuse valid versus lame or what makes yeah. it a, a, a reasonable reason versus a lame excuse. And it is. It's, it's, it's really subtle. And I think that you have to use honesty as a guide, that you don't ever want to say anything that isn't true, obviously. You want to protect the integrity of your word. But you also want to protect the integrity of your intent. You don't want to lie by omission or create an impression that's actually not true. And what I really like about the way you're thinking about it is that you're looking for a reason that has to do with you, your approach, your feelings. And as long as you ground your reason in that, you're going to be in really good shape. And you also avoid what I think is a potential trap here, which is something you hinted at, which is commenting on someone else's behavior that, um, in this particular case, there's also a, a game of telephone that you've heard from someone else about this behavior. And to me, that's that's a little too much. Whether or not you should have that information, how was it conveyed, um, starts to get unnecessarily complicated. It really can. And and this time of COVID and these this whole issue of concern over relationships and contact and things. I was in a situation where where we were doing a physically distanced thing and we were not wearing masks because we were going to be physically distanced, but we might be getting closer together. So we had been talking about wearing masks. And one of the other people said, oh, I'm so glad we're not doing masks. And I was thinking to myself, boy, I'm not glad we're not doing masks. And I didn't say anything. And sort of for a long time afterwards, I kept wondering whether or not I should have said something or not, you know, commenting because people are coming at this particular pandemic situation, social situations from different perspectives and they feel differently about it. And it sometimes does set you up in awkward situations. And I think the two things that we mentioned at the outset, one is honesty and responding as honestly as you can to a situation and then also not trying to change other people's behavior. It's, it, I don't think that at least etiquette wise, that isn't the place here. And I, I don't I think you can just set yourself up 
in some ways that you don't want to. I agree. I want to tease a topic that I'm hoping to get to in the postscript, which is – and I'm going to put you on the spot here a little bit, Cindy Senning. It comes from something I remembered you teaching when you used to be a school nurse and you would teach life skills to adolescents, the quest classes they used to offer at Harwood. And I, I always remember the when you, I feel statements as a, a construct, a way to talk to someone about their actions and how you're impacted by them without blaming someone else or prescribing behavior for someone else. And I'm, I'm hoping that we can revisit the, the function and the intent of the when you, I feel statement in our postscript. Would you be game for something like that? Yes, for sure. The other thing is thinking back to the situation that I was just talking about that I was in later on as I thought about it, that what I could have done what and what I really wish that I had done was I should have said, you know, I'm still not that comfortable <laughs> about um, not using masks. So you're going to notice that I'm making a particularly special effort to be physically distanced. It's nothing personal, but if you are getting a little closer to me than I'm comfortable with, I'm going to just move away a little bit and you need to know it has to to do with this pandemic, not our relationship, something like that. So I, I, if I had just made that effort in that situation, I think I would have felt a little better. And it, again, it's taking it on myself. It was my response to this situation that I needed to be tending to. I like that reflection. And it's a great example of how we do the same kind of questioning ourselves that yeah. we deal with when we answer questions here on the show. I, I, I appreciate the uh, the willingness to both reflect and think about how you might have handled it a little bit better. Kate, I hope that our answer gives you something to reflect on as well. And in the future, I'm sure that you will be successful finding that elegant solution to these kinds of awkward situations. A dynamic community health program. Physicians, voluntary agencies, and the health department working together can do much to ensure your well-being and that of your children. It can provide the kind of environment which is essential to good health and wholesome living. But a modern full-time health department cannot exist without active citizen support. It's up to you. Our next question's an etiquette classic. Thank you for the thank you. Dear Lizzie and Dan, first off, love the podcast. It's nice to listen to some positivity when I go for a jog in the evenings. My question is a matter of thank you notes. My husband and I live in a large house that was converted into a triplex. In the basement, we set up a washer and dryer and have allowed our downstairs neighbor to use it as well. As thanks, she gave us a lovely bottle of homemade Moscato wine and a very nice thank you note. My question, should we in turn send a thank you note for the wine when it was in fact a thank you in the first place? I feel like we should, but I don't know where the chain of thanking is supposed to end. Best regards, a thankful neighbor. Ah, thankful neighbor. We're thankful for the question. And... There is no need for the chain to go on forever and ever. It could definitely turn into an infinity mirror situation. And this is a question that we have not answered once on this show, not twice, not three times, but I, I couldn't even count them. And we'll probably answer it again. It comes in different forms. And I think that's because thanks are so delightful. Thank yous are so surprising and thank you gifts in particular, are so delightful and surprising. And 
that impact, that feeling that you get when you receive that thank you gift of appreciation, of feeling appreciated, often inspires the thought of, oh, I want to thank them for this thank you gift. And hence, we get questions like yours, and we get to say, again, it's it's okay, the chain does have to stop somewhere. You don't need to thank someone for a thank you. In fact, you play your etiquette role well by receiving that thanks and really being a recipient of that gratitude, which is as important for the other person as it is for you. On the other hand, I do think it's perfectly okay when you run into that neighbor in the hall or at the entrance or on the walk in front of the house to just mention how much you've enjoyed the wine and how thoughtful that was with them. You you can do it sort of that way without continuing the thank you note chain. I'm calling it the wiggle room option. (laughs) Even though from an etiquette point of view, thanking for a thanks is not only not required at some point. It has to wind down or it could go on forever. There is some wiggle room around receiving a thank you gift that the person hasn't given you in person. Lizzie Post likes to remind people that it's nice to let someone know a gift has arrived. So uh, under the guise of we got your bottle of wine and note and so appreciated it is another way you can kind of sneak a thank you for the thank you in there. You can let someone know that it did land and that it had the desired impact without – Sort of formalizing that as a reply thanks and doing that in person, I think, is a great option. So, thankful neighbor, we hope that our response has been helpful to you as you continue the tradition of being a good neighbor. Oh, yes. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Our next question is about bad news boundaries. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. Like many, I have found myself struggling under the growing weight of an endless barrage of negative news this year. I recently culled down my social media consumption, which has been a sure step in the right direction, but now find myself facing a slightly more complex and related predicament. I work in an environment where the line between coworker and friend is somewhat blurred. As such, it seems that someone is always sending out the latest breaking news and wanting to talk about it on Slack. This makes it almost impossible to unplug from rising levels of anxiety, fear, and uncertainty during what should be the welcome respite and distraction of the workday. I certainly respect that we are all navigating a sea of new emotions in our own way. While some of my colleagues elect to process by talking things out with others, I've chosen to prioritize my own mental health by determining the pace and place for my news consumption, and my workplace simply isn't one of them. I would be so grateful to hear your thoughts on a clear, kind script for stepping out of these conversations when they arise at work. I want to honor and support the individual needs of those around me in these challenging times while establishing and upholding the boundaries that work for me. Thanks so much. Boundaries, please. Well, boundaries, please. I think that your letter really touches back to the very thing we talked a little bit about earlier, which is the issue of um, expressing things in terms of your own feelings or your own situation or the way you're responding to things. 
And I think that you might find a time if you could, when you're at the end of a work conversation or when you feel one of these notes has just come through that's made you uncomfortable, to send a note back to the person that sent it and just say, you know, I've been trying to downplay my reception of a lot of news in in today's world, the way it's going. And when you have sent those messages out, I feel a little bit uncomfortable. And so I would just as soon let you know that I'm probably not going to read through the whole thing and or that I would just as soon you take me off of that group mailing or something to that effect. The point is that you again say you take sort of personal responsibility for your own response to the news that's going on in the world these days and the way you're trying to handle it and let the person know that. They don't know right now that you don't like to receive those messages and somehow you need to be letting them know you want to do it in a way that doesn't again that isn't making a commentary on their option and choice to be dealing with things by sharing them Um, you really just want to be clear your own choice to kind of stay away from some of that news for now i agree that that boundary setting at work is so important, and I, I see the awareness of that in the way this question is framed, and I think that awareness is your friend, and you can really think about it like that, that it's easier for me to address the broad situation than an individual instance or occurrence. So when that note pops up, I think you could respond by saying that you're going to check out of the conversation. But to me, the easy time to have that discussion is before it's happened. If this is happening repeatedly, you could have that discussion independent of the thing itself occurring and to start to let people know that communication is so important. Exactly what you let us know in this question that in order to regulate your own mental space, you're really trying to regulate your consumption of news and media. And that's an idea that I think many people will understand if they haven't heard about it already and they haven't already been thinking about it. It should make sense. It's it's a a responsibility for a lot of working professionals now and a lot of people just in their lives for maintaining their own their own mental health. Dan, you know, it's just while you were talking, I was glancing over uh, Boundaries Please's note and she actually uses a phrase that is like a perfect phrase that we can use for our own, you know, when, when we're giving people sample scripts. Her last paragraph starts with, I certainly respect that we are all navigating a sea of new emotions in our own way. That is perfect for this time. And that's what, that's all you need to say to your, your work buddy that's maybe sending you these message. You know, I've, just respect that we're doing this differently. We're all, I like that navigating a sea of new emotions is a really nice turn of phrase, as they say. I do too. It's a really well-written question. The, the other thought that I had, and this gets maybe a little bit detailed, but I want to parse out and ask boundaries, please, to think about what the new boundary is that you're really looking for. And if that boundary is just permission to not participate in the conversation, I think the threshold for what you have to say to just not respond or remove yourself from the expectation of participation is pretty low. That you can let people know that during work, it's 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 a, a refuge for you where you can just focus on your work and you really try not to talk about things outside of work when you're in that time and space. And 
now you're not asking anything of them. Those Slack discussions can continue. Those message boards can continue. If if that's enough, if just not needing to respond, you're like me, you can just skim over that stuff and ignore it and it doesn't really impact you, then I think that's that's fine. It, if you're going to ask them for a change in behavior, if you're going to ask them to stop posting those notes where you see them or on the the project threads that you're a part of in Slack, I think that's a little bit bigger of an ask and you're going to because you're asking someone else to modify their behavior for your sake and I would approach that conversation with a little more care. I'd be ready to share a little bit more about the impacts that it that it has on you and how it can take you to a different place mentally or distract you intellectually, whatever it is, however you want to have that discussion. And I think that those when you I feel statements, taking responsibility for your reactions is a great way to have that discussion also. But I think it gets a little bit more involved when you're asking for a change from someone else rather than them just understanding that you're probably not going to be responding. I just think that's true. And I think when she talks about the that we're each doing this in our own way, really recognizes the, the notion in the other person, the person who's sending the notes, that they have a need to be responding to the current news and messages in one way, and you have a need in a different way. And that's what this is about. Boundaries, please. We hope that this answer helps. In a time where people are setting boundaries in new places all the time, we really think that communication is key and applaud your efforts thinking about that. First, of course, know your work. Enjoy it, but also enjoy the people you're working with. Be considerate of them and be considerate of your employer. Those rules have certainly helped me. I shall always be grateful for them. We'll see you in the morning then? Yes, I'll be here early. Fine. Thank you for your questions. Please send us updates or feedback on our answers to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Leave a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Or reach us on social media. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. On Facebook, we are Awesome Etiquette. Just use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette with your social media post so we know you want your question on the show. If you love Awesome Etiquette, consider becoming a sustaining member. You can find out more about this by visiting us at patreon.com slash awesome etiquette. You'll get an ads-free version of the show and access to bonus questions and content. Plus, you'll feel great knowing that you help to keep awesome etiquette on the air. And to those of you who are already sustaining members, thank you for your support. It's time for our feedback segment, where we hear from you about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. We hear from Michaela on episode 306 and unwanted nicknames for your baby. Hello, AE team. I want to offer a suggestion to the question asker from episode 306 regarding not wanting people to call their new baby by certain nicknames. We chose a non-English name for our daughter, which is not easily pronounced in English. People have come up with all kinds of nicknames for her, including ones we genuinely dislike, mostly to make it easier for them to say. We discouraged this. We started telling people, we only call her and then her full first name, so that she can learn her name. She can pick her own nickname if she wants when she is older. 
This has worked with family, our friends, the parents of her friends, and her daycare teachers. Hopefully this helps. Michaela. Thanks for your feedback, Michaela. Really appreciate it. It's especially fun for me since between Dan and me, we have this exact issue. He named his second daughter Arya, and I like to call her Yaya. I always thought that they didn't like me calling her Yaya, but I sort of like it. So that's what I do. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's an example where the nickname is one that we like, even though you worry that people don't like it. Well, it's kind of fun. They call me Gaga and I call her Yaya. So there you go. (laughs) Michaela, I appreciate the advice. It's really good to hear about how other people handle the baby nickname situation. Thank you for sending us your thoughts and updates. Please keep them coming. You can send your feedback or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. It's time for our Postscript segment where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And this week we're going to check in with Cindy Post-Senning about something that I learned from her long before either of us ever went to work at the Emily Post Institute. And that's the when you I feel statement. And it's something I've been thinking a lot about as in my role as an etiquette advisor, I've been having a lot of um, conversations with people about how to have difficult conversations these days, oftentimes around COVID-19 and people trying to navigate this world of social physical distancing that we operate in. And I keep thinking about the when you I feel statement, which I have in my personal memory located in uh, as something I learned from my mother when she was teaching a quest class, which is sort of an adolescent life skills class as a school nurse at the high school that I went to. Now, what I'm hoping to do with this postscript mom, Cindy Poseni, is to uh, sort of tease out and, and get you talking a little bit about the when you I feel statement. And I'd like to learn a little bit more from you about where it actually came from, how you actually used it, and pair it up with my memory of how I learned it from you and what its purpose was. And maybe our audience can get something out of that discussion. How does that sound to you? Sure. That sounds fine. Um, It takes me back a bunch of years, actually, but I'm glad to do that. The when you I feel statement, I used to use it in the context of giving middle school kids, seventh graders, a sense of control in who they are and in what they were doing. Kids in, in seventh grade typically have no control over so many things. Their bodies are changing, their emotions are changing, their cognitive skills are changing, everything is changing, and it's changing out of their control in essence. Uh, so they gain weight or they lose weight. I, I could go on and on about that. But it's part of what makes being a middle schooler or a seventh grader kind of tough sometimes. And one of the things I used to try to do was find ways that you can give kids control. And when you think about that, if you think about when they're with their friend and their friend's done something that they felt really angry about, and they say to their friend, oh, you make me so mad, they're giving their friend that control over them. They're saying to their friend, you can make me mad whenever you want. All you need to do is say that or whatever. And and you you give away control over your own responses and your own feelings. So when you do a when you I feel statement, you take control of your response. So you say to your friend, 
you know, when you talk like that, I feel so angry because, and then the because is sometimes pretty important because it helps to, it helps to, um, complete that, that whole sense. So when you talk like that, I feel really upset because those words are not words I'm supposed to use or whatever it is, but you take the responsibility for it. And it's so amazing to watch kids taking control over their own responses and their own reactions instead of letting somebody else control their emotions. That's what it is. It was that basic and kids could get that. And as soon as you practice it a few times, it's such an easy way to respond to things and it's honest and truthful, all those things. And it's giving yourself some self-control. I love that idea of it um, functioning to give you control over your response. So often when I think about it, I think about the functionality of that statement in terms of how it's received by the other person. That to me, there's a real utility to it. That when you say to someone, when you do this, I feel this way, you're not making any assumptions about why they do that or how they think it functions. You're not telling them what to do moving forward. You're not sort of trying to prescribe a fix or – and it doesn't even necessarily have to come across as an accusation or blaming, that it's it's really informational. It's like when you do that thing that I'm seeing, it makes me feel this way. And what I'm appreciating right now is that the root functionality, and you're reminding me of this, is that it also gives you so much control over your reaction and response. I mean it really it, – it, it works in both directions as a communication tool. There are benefits for you and benefits for the person who you're responding to. Yeah, it does. And again, you're not telling them how to behave. It's so interesting because when you do this with a group of kids too or, or with people, adults too, you can say that person, if they say to you or uh, you can say, oh, you make me so angry or something like that, then then they know what they can do to make you angry, one, to begin with. But when you say, I feel angry, they can't say to you, no, you don't feel angry. Do you see what I mean? It gives you, you're in control of that whole emotional response. So they they, they can't say back to you, no, you're not. That doesn't make you angry. Well, it does make you angry. You know what I mean? I, I don't know. It's the, that, that was the other piece of it that used to get to kids. It was like they can't even tell you how to feel. You're in control of how you feel. That's the key. I love it. I love that that sense of control that comes from it and learning any sort of tactic or language structure to help regulate emotion or, or get some control over emotional responses is is useful, particularly in the context that we talk about it here on, on Awesome Etiquette. The other thing that I, I'm learning in this postscript is that I had forgotten the whole because part of the when you I feel statement. And you mentioned how important that is. It, it, it introduces this whole potential third element. When you do X, I feel Y because Z. And all of a sudden, you've now got a whole other tool for sort of explaining your context and your reaction, which is also such good information to give someone if you're talking with them about how something they're doing is affecting you. So it really all fits in, in the whole world of etiquette that you and I talk about so often because it's this issue about communicating with people and being clear about what's going on and what the issues are. And it's numerous things. It's the, sort of the communication. It's the honest communication. And it's also the um, the, con- the control issue. And when you're talking to a group of seventh graders and teens in general, but, but middle school kids in particular – 
Um, I often, often talk to parents and say, try and find places where you can give your kids control because th- that's what's at issue for them is the, the loss of control in their lives during this time period. I appreciate your willingness to do a, a little bit of a deep dive into the memory banks on the when you I feel <laughs> statements. You never know what it is that you're going to teach your kids that's going to stick with them. Um, yeah. But that's one of those things. But I'm glad I'm glad we had a chance to get back to it because I, I learned something new today. It was my pleasure. So happy to do it. Wherever you go, there will be teasers. Occasionally, these people are amusing, more often simply discourteous and annoying. But teasers may do real damage if they ridicule others because they look or act differently. Or, as in Judy's case, because they are victims of circumstances. We like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world, and that can come in so many forms. And today we have a note from Susanna about a previous episode, and I am so glad this was our salute today. It's a little bit of a weird salute in that it's not a big etiquette thank you. It was almost a thank you to the show about a concept that we introduced. And Cindy Posenning, I did not plan this, but we introduced the Corona Moo in episode Ah. number 303. And this was a little salute that was a response to the Corona Moo. And it came in the form of a Facebook post that said, Hello, Lizzie and Dan. I loved your Corona Moo discussed in episode number 303. I'm a teacher and adapted it into this little PSA poster for my classroom. And she includes a link to her Facebook page that has a diagram of a cow with the six feet average length of a cow mapped out on it. And then below, a little reminder and... For those of you that didn't catch episode 303, the Corona Moo is something that we use up here on Pollander Road between the two Senning households as a, a social distance or physical distance reminder. If someone starts to over the course of a enthusiastic social encounter, particularly one where there are a lot of little kids around, start to drift a little closer than six feet, we give them a Corona Moo. It's a little moo, moo, and it's a reminder that <laughs> you want to stay that cow's length apart when you're hanging out right now. And we had shared it on this show. This was something that um, Cindy Post-Senning helped invent with her granddaughters. And we will share the poster itself. So this is kind of a, a visual uh, etiquette salute <laughs> um, on our social pages. If you've never checked out the Awesome Etiquette Facebook or Twitter or Instagram I strongly encourage you to take a look because um, this is a great little poster and it is a thank you to Cindy Posenning from a teacher who was able to use this material. So thank you, Cindy Posenning, for being here and for inventing the Corona Moo and I can't wait to show you this poster. Great. I'm looking forward to looking at that poster. And thank you to everyone who joined us today for a special show. Thank you for listening. Thank you to everyone who sent us something. And thank you to everyone who supports us on Patreon. Please connect with us and share this show with friends, family, and coworkers, however you like to share podcasts. That's how we get the word out. You can send us your next question, feedback, or salute by email to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a message or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. And on Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. Please consider becoming a sustaining member. You can find out more about this by visiting patreon.com slash awesomeetiquette. 
You can also subscribe to the ads version of our show on Spotify or your favorite podcast app. And if you've done this, please consider leaving us a review. It helps with our show ranking, which helps new people find awesome etiquette. Our show was edited by Chris Albertine and assistant produced by Bridget Dowd. Thanks, Thanks Chris and Bridget. Bridget.